I want to start off by asking the question, what is the last thing that you've experienced that you couldn't keep to yourself? Like you were so excited about it, you had to tell someone else about it. I've, I, I thought of a, a handful of things like right off the bat. Um, right now we have a neighbor who uh, is thinking about opening a bakery, which I have to tell you is a fantastic problem to have. Uh, so she has assigned us to be like taste testers for cupcakes that she's been making. And um, I was really scared <laughs> about that. I was like, this is uh, the first time she dropped something off. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to eat that. Michaela, you can eat that. And uh, the first bite she took of it, she, her eyes lit up and she was like, you have to try this. And she was right. It's the best cupcakes I've ever had in my life. So, you know, if you can, if you have a say in it, get yourself a neighbor who uh, is an aspiring what, a baker. I almost said bakist. I don't know what that is. Get a baker. Um, another thing that we've been experiencing a lot, my son Apollo is like at this age where now he, he doesn't give like full on hugs. He does this, <laughs> he does this weird thing where he like tucks his arms in, but then like slams himself into you. But it's like the most adorable thing. Like he just like cuddles up into you like this. And anytime that happens to one of us, we're like, oh, look, look what's happening right now. Look how great this is. Uh, if you were here on Easter, um, I was telling anyone who would listen about the Paulson's banana pudding or Mike, uh, Mike Carlstrom makes these yellow cake cookies that are like so good. And I haven't had them in a couple of years and he brought them to Easter and I had like five because they're so good. And anyone that was around me was hearing me say like, you have to try this. This is very, your life will be worse if you don't. Um, we experience this all the time. I'm sure if you're anything like me, uh, you, you see something funny on social media and you send it to people that you love. Um, like you, like, look at this, <laughs> look at this ridiculous thing. There's this, uh, there's this one thing that I've seen on social media. I found a couple weeks ago that, uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Michaela just asked if I was going to play it. I was going to try to describe it, but I'm going to laugh too hard if I do. But I, I, there's this, it's just a ridiculous video, and it, it has made me laugh consistently more than I have laughed in years. The first time I saw it, I, like my throat hurt. I was laughing so hard. And I still, this was like two weeks ago. Every time I watch it, it's still like, I watch it this afternoon and I'm here by myself. And I was like almost crying. <laughs> uh, but like half the people I've sent it to don't think it's funny. <laughs> Which, for some reason, makes it even funnier to me. Uh, but, I, you know, I just felt like this brought me so much joy. You have to experience this thing. Like, you, ha uh, you have to see this. You have to taste this. You have to feel this. You have to experience this. This is so transcendent. You have to try this thing. You all know what I'm talking about. Have you, do you, do you feel that way about this place? Like, have you ever told anyone, like, you have to come experience this? Or maybe like any church, like you have to come. This is the most amazing thing. You have to come experience what, what it's like to be, to be this place, what it's like to be part of this community with these people. Do you ever, have you ever felt that way? I don't know that I have in a long time. And I'm not, I'm not saying this to guilt trip anyone because I'm not sure that this is even something that like should be a thing. I'm not saying that we should feel this way necessarily. I think that feeling of this is so good, I want to share it with others, is something that could be true of our church, that could be true of our community. 
I think it's something that is that we're being invited to. It's something that's available to us. So that that's that's kind of what we're going to be talking about over these next several weeks. An invitation to of how transcendent Christian community can be. And that's that's really my hope for this place. I don't really care about being a big church. I don't really care about being uh, known at all. But I would love for this to be a place where everyone who's here is like, this is so good. You have to see this. These are like Carlstrom's yellow cake cookies. You have to try this. That wasn't a joke, but thank you. Uh, learning, so that's what we're going to be exploring these next few weeks. And we're going to be learning from a voice uh, from recent history from an incredible na- man named Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Um, we are going through this book called Life Together, which if you don't have a copy of, you can get uh, at the welcome desk afterwards from Nikki for free. Uh, we are asking for a $7 suggested donation, but uh, it's just a suggested donation, so you can totally just take it for free. Um, <clears throat> and uh, like I said, next week we'll be, we'll be delving into chapter one. This week we're going to be talking a little bit about who Diedrich Bonhoeffer was and kind of exploring the like idea that he based the whole book off of or like what sparked his imagination for it. So Diedrich Bonhoeffer was uh, born in 1906 in an aristocratic family in Germany um, that was pretty well off. He was encouraged from a young age to pursue uh, literature and fine art. Apparently, he was like an incredible, incredible piano player. But something, I, I wasn't able to figure out like what the story was here, but around age 14, he told his family, um, I'm going to be a minister. <laughs> I'm going to be a priest. I'm going to be a pastor. His family that he grew up in was pretty nominally Christian. And so they weren't like super stoked about his decision, especially because they expected him to pursue literature or, or art. Um, but he... he Decided at 14 that he wanted to be a pastor, and that's absolutely what he goes on to do. Around, um, so he was born in 1906, right before World War I. His most formative years are during World War I and the depression that Germany would experience. And Germany was so crushed post-World War I by the war and then by just the severe economic conditions um, that when a charismatic leader showed up who started giving them hope and telling them that things shouldn't be this way and that he could change it for them. A lot of Germans felt like it was an answer to prayer. And of course, that person turned out to be Hitler. But with the way that fascism works is it's government, it's, it's privately owned things that the government controls. And that's just as true of the church. So as time went on and Hitler gained more and more power, he started to sort of force the, the church in Germany to start preaching his propaganda. And there were several pastors that were all too willing to do that because, again, they saw him as an answer to prayer. These are literal quotes from pastors in Germany before uh, the end of the war. The time is fulfilled for the German people of Hitler. It is because of Hitler that Christ, God the helper and redeemer, has become effective among us. Hitler is the way of the spirit and the will of God for the German people to enter the church of Christ. That should give you chills. Another pastor, who I guess just was much more succinct and didn't care about using so many words, simply said, Christ has come to us through Adolf Hitler. 
up against this, Bonhoeffer refused to be any part of Hitler's propaganda club. He and a couple other pastors formed uh, what was called the, the Confessing Church, and they publicly pronounced that they would never, under any circumstances, equate any person as a divine revelation on par with Scripture, which is what Hitler had started to force people to talk about him as. Eventually, um, Bonhoeffer felt like he had to actively combat what was going on in Germany, actively combat this fascist takeover and, and this, uh, what am I trying to say? Persecution of the Jewish people that started to intensify. He really felt like the best way that that, that was going to happen was by living out the Sermon on the Mount, by finding a community of people and, and living in Christian community so that God manifested in a completely unique way as he does when we come together. That only by changing people's hearts and changing the culture would they overcome Hitler. So he started an underground seminary that he and 23 other guys were a part of for two years, every single day living together. That's where, that's what the book that we're going to be reading is based on, his experience in that community. Eventually, Germany, uh, uh, the Nazis get wind of his underground seminary and they shut it down. And so he decides, all right, fine, I'll work for you guys. And he joins the, the Nazi secret service. And he's sent out to go to all these different um, like church conferences. And he's supposed to be gathering intel at all the places that he visits. But instead of doing that, he uses his ability to travel around to help Jewish people escape Germany. Along the way, he is um, sort of on the periphery. Uh, he like gets wind of or is like somehow just barely attached to a plot to assassinate Hitler, which is eventually discovered. His um, helping people, helping Jewish people escape is eventually uncovered. And so in 1943, he was arrested by the Nazis and sent to a concentration camp. While in the concentration camp, he makes friends with pretty much everybody. Uh, including his guards. He writes extensively. He writes papers. He writes letters. And his guards like him so much that they're willing to mail them out for him. He's encouraging to everyone who is in that camp with him, and he's constantly pointing people back to Jesus, kind of just rebuilding the community that he was just shut down from. Towards the end, like the very end of the war, when Hitler just has gone the most insane, he decides that, hey, remember that plot of those guys that wanted to kill me? Let's just get rid of all of them. So in 1945, uh, Bonhoeffer is transferred to a different concentration camp and eventually executed. Like literally days before his the camp that he was at was liberated by U.S. forces. And all along the way, the entire time, he's praising God. He's telling people about Jesus. He Up until the moment of his death, <clears throat> he's praising God. He was fearless in the, in the face of death. His faith was so strong and he was so sure that death did not deter him or scare him. I think that's incredible when anyone is up against those odds, but his persistence of how important Christian unity and Christian community was up until the point of death, to me, makes him someone that we can learn something from. He's certainly not the only person for us to learn about this from, but he is a voice uh, that has something to say to us even today. 
he had a, a heightened appreciation for, for Christian community and unity because he lived in a time that was so incredibly divided. Germany throughout kind of Hitler's, Hitler's takeover uh, was struggling with ideas of like, well, what do we do about Hitler? Uh, do we join? Do we not join? What is going on with the Jewish people? Should we push back against that? Should we not? Um, what do we do about all this like propaganda that all these corporations and, and the government is pushing for us to say? Like, do we stand up against that? Do we, is it better for us to just put up with that and, and still get to do what we're supposed to do, which is talk about Jesus? It was an incredibly divisive time, and he was preaching unity throughout it. He, he treasured unity and lived for unity in, in ways that, uh, you know, still affect the world today. So, like I said, we're going to be reading through his book, Life Together. And uh, you'll see at the beginning of the book, it's kind of all sparked from this one psalm that we're going to close by looking at tonight. Um, we're going to read through Psalm 133. Now, don't worry. This is maybe the shortest psalm of all time. It is three verses long. So this is not going to take long. But let's read it together. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon was falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Now, most of that probably just sounded like nothing, honestly, like just flowery goodness. But there's so much richness in here that often, like a lot of Old Testament stuff, we just miss. But this, this psalm starts out by saying how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. That word for good is the same word that is used at the beginning of, of the, the scriptures in Genesis when God looks at creation and says that it is good. The psalm is literally saying, when God's people live together in unity, original goodness is restored to creation. This is what God intended. This is what God had in mind. I think that word unity too, we've talked about this before, can often be something that we kind of get hung up on because it just sounds like we like are all in agreement about something. I think a better word for this here is, is harmony. And the best way for us to talk about harmony, or at least the, the best example I have of harmony, is what we normally say when we're talking about harmony. I don't know if you've ever experienced like a big old choir. Uh, my family and I, around Christmas time, used to go, um, actually, on Arapaho, there's this huge cathedral at like Buckley and Arapaho. Uh, and they always, uh, for a couple of years, were putting on like a Christmas choir concert. And I, we would go as a family, and it was my favorite thing in the world because the, the, the concert would start out by everyone's in their seats waiting for the thing to start, and the choir would come into the room, and it's like a huge circular room. So they would just stand around the edge of the room and start singing, completely a cappella. There's no music. It's just voices. And quickly, everyone in the building gets like super quiet, and all these voices that are singing different notes are creating like the most beautiful sound that I've ever heard. I, the first time I experienced it was the first time that I think that I can remember anyway, uh, crying because of experiencing something so beautiful. 
Harmony is that idea. It's when people come together to create something more than they could ever do on their own. Two people singing can create harmony. You can listen to their parts individually, and it still sounds fine, but there's something about when they sing together. They're not singing the same notes. They're singing notes that work together that create something better than anything that they can do on their own. That's kind of like the goal of Christian community is that kind of harmony. And that kind of harmony is what God intended from the beginning. This psalm goes on to talk about um, beards a lot. Uh, Precious oil poured down on the head. This is talking about anointing oil. But it's talking about there being so much of this that you can just, like, usually you did like a drop or two because this stuff is so precious and so important. But this is a picture of, like, it just being dumped on a priest. It is going down his beard. And and then he talks about more beards because beards are awesome, so it bears repeating. But it goes all the way down past his robes. Like this is, this is a picture of just like extravagant goodness. This is what it's like to live in community with one another. It is the most extravagant, reckless display of grace that you can imagine. Then probably the thing that was the, the weirdest for us today, he start, the psalmist starts talking about, it's as if the dew of Hermon, which is a mountain, Uh, was falling on Mount Zion. That means very little to us, but these are two mountains in kind of like completely different parts of Israel. They're separated by hundreds of miles. And he's saying that like, it's almost like living in harmony, living in Christian community makes impossible things happen. Where a dew on one mountain rolls down and falls onto a mountain hundreds of miles away. That's like the literal image But it's also important to understand that eventually these are mountains in two different kingdoms of Israel when they separate into two different kingdoms. This is an image of the people of God finally being united again, which at the time would have felt completely impossible. Christian community, God's people living in harmony together, overcomes divisions that seem impossible to overcome. And it says in this place, in that like perfect picture of harmony, that's where God shows up. That's where God bestows his blessing. That's where we get a glimpse of eternal life. That's where we get a glimpse of heaven on earth. This is the psalm that sort of sparked Bonhoeffer's imagination. This is what we're being invited into. Again, this isn't saying like, You need to all be united. You need to all live in harmony. It's saying this is what's possible when that is achieved. And as we'll read from Bonhoeffer, that kind of harmony is only possible because of Jesus. That's only possible because of Christ in you and Christ in me when we live fully into that together. So I hope that you will join us throughout this series. I hope uh, that you're at least a little bit intrigued. I'm really excited about this series. We're gonna hear from a couple different people, not just me, which is always a great time. Um, And again, uh, grab a book on your way out if you don't have one. Next week, we'll start chapter one. Kind of the way that we're going to do this series is Bonhoeffer covers a lot of ground in a very little bit, very little amount of time. So each week, whoever's speaking is going to talk about something that stood out to them in that chapter and apply it to our community together. But every part of this book is important, and I hope that we can have more conversations about it going forward. Like... 
at Thursday morning coffee, which is at 6.30 every Thursday morning at Buckley and Smoky Hill. Starbucks. <laughs> it's a weird way to end a talk, huh? It's whispering about Starbucks. But you know, it's kind of a weird talk. We talked about beards a lot. We talked about oil. We covered a lot of ground. Will you pray with me? God, thank you uh, for voices throughout history that reflect you in profound, earth-shattering ways. God, thank you for the courage of people like Diedrich who stood up to one of the most ultimate pictures of evil that, that we have known. God, I pray that uh, you will speak through him to us. I pray that we will learn something about what it means to love one another. And God, I certainly don't uh, wish for the hardship or trials, but I, I pray that this could be a community that so profoundly reflects you that we could change this little part of Colorado that we live in. We love you, God. Amen.